This is The Weekender on Y95, brought to you by Eris Yarmouth. Good morning and welcome to The Weekender on Y95, brought to you by Eris Yarmouth, your one-stop healthy home center. I'm Kevin Northup. The Weekender for Saturday, November 12th, 2022. Coming up this hour, we hear from 104-year-old Second World War veteran Jim McRae and how he was celebrated leading up to Remembrance Day yesterday. A rescue of several dolphins on the shores of Digby. We get details from Tanya Wimmer of the Marine Animal Response Society. A major funding announcement for the Mariner Center expansion last month. We'll talk to several dignitaries who were on hand at the announcement. And we profile Groundhog Night, Shubenacadie Sam's Shadow, a new children's book by Valley-based artist Doretta Gronendike. The Weekender returns in a moment on Y95. Welcome back to The Weekender on Y95. I'm Kevin Northup. Yarmouth's oldest living veteran attended a service at Mariner Center yesterday for Remembrance Day. Jim McRae's 105th birthday is coming up on November the 28th. A little bit of background about Jim. He entered the armed forces in 1941 as a pilot and survived when his plane was shot down during the Second World War. He survived in very, very cold waters in the North Atlantic and not all of his crew were able to survive, but he did. McRae has attended ceremonies at schools over the past week as part of Veterans Week, and he even dropped the puck at last Saturday's Yarmouth Mariners game. I had a chance to go to Veterans Place, where Jim is currently residing now, to talk with him more. Jim, I want to ask you a few questions about your service. Yeah. Uh, you know, with it being Remembrance Day coming up, um, I just want to ask you what you remember. I know you enlisted in 1941 when you were 23 years old. I want to ask you what you remember maybe about that time in your life. My memory, one of the, one of the things that happened to me is loss of memory. And uh, if you ask me when I went to, went to Brandon, I don't remember that exactly. Okay. I just know I went there. I went to Brandon. I look in my log book, I went to Brandon. Yeah. And I learned to fly twin engine airplanes from at Brandon. Right. So uh, that's about as good as I can give you. <laughs> do, do you remember what it was like to fly in, in the plane and, and, you know, your years of... Of flying because oh, I know you I love, love that. I love flying. Yes, uh, and as I look in my logbook, there's so many airplanes that I flew that I've forgotten about. And uh, but I always loved flying, whether it was a small Piper Cub or Tiger Moth or something like that. And I graduated on the Cessna twin engine, and uh, that's what I learned at Brandon, twin engine aircraft. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, uh, and everyone's just so, you know, taken aback by you and remarkable. It's remarkable uh, for you to... to, you know, to uh, take part in these Remembrance Day ceremonies. And I know uh, last year you became the, one of the oldest veterans to lay a wreath at uh, Mariner Center. So I know you're going to Mariner Center and a few other places uh, this week for, uh, for Remembrance Day here. Yes, that, that, that is true. Mm-hmm. I just sit back and let it happen, really. <laughs> Everybody has certain things they want to do and whether I know about it or not, it doesn't really matter. 
And I know uh, your daughter here was saying how much you enjoyed the uh, the hockey game uh, the other night when you got to drop the puck at well, uh, at the Mariner Center. I only stayed for ten minutes of the hockey because I couldn't see. My eyesight is bad, and I couldn't see the puck at any time, even if it was close. And uh, that's what happened. Well, Oh, you got, you still have it. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. I'm going to keep it. Yeah. Or, or Jimmy, I'll give it to him and tell him, don't get, don't give this to anybody. Yeah, it meant a lot. It didn't mean a lot. That's so nice. And you still got the puck there. And I, I know the fans, I, I, I don't know if you could see the fans or not, but they all stood up and they all clapped for you. What did that, what did that mean to you? Yeah. Yeah, it was. It, it was uh, quite an experience. Of course, I was very well briefed uh, on the dropping of, of the puck. I had to, who, am I going to stand up or am I going to sit down <laughs> and so on. But it, <coughs> it all fell into place and uh, went over pretty good, I guess. Mm-hmm. It, it certainly looked good from my angle because I was I was there too, and uh, everyone was certainly having a great time, and uh, certainly on, honoring everyone that served, much like yourself. Yeah. So so important this time of year. Do you have a message for young people um, that that might be you know not know too much about Remembrance Day or know too much about serving? Uh, what's your message to young people, I guess, uh, during this time of year? Well, it's good to see so many of them. Uh, taking such an interest in it and I'm sure they all learn from it and people learn uh, to get to know people from other areas like I've been all over Canada this uh, as a guest of the government and, uh, but uh, it's very hard for me to pick out any one thing and tell about it that's right uh you have been all over canada uh, you've been overseas you you were in the second world war i mean uh just uh again certainly amazing and we thank you so much for your service um and everyone i'm sure has been thanking you for your service here at veterans place and uh and yarmouth uh, and beyond so uh i guess my final question for you jim um you're going to be 105 years old on uh, november the 28th and you, you must uh, you must get this question a lot but uh what's your secret i guess is what people might want to know i yeah i told you that i lost my memory the secret must be there though <laughs> i guess i was lucky i never did get sick a lot of people get headaches and get this and that and pain pains of various sorts i never had that Unless I bumped something or hit something or something hit me. But uh, a lot of people uh, uh, live a very miserable life. But that wasn't my case. And uh, it was about the uh, mid-time of my term, about 
That would be about uh, 50 or 60 years ago. That's when I started to notice it. Gee whiz, what has happened then, you know? So, anyway, for young people, it's, it's good to see them get uh, uh, interest in uh, public affairs and public actions and so on. And uh, it looks as though they're doing a good job. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people are certainly going out to Remembrance Day services over the next couple of days. So, uh, Jim, I thank you for your time. Uh, Thank you for talking to me, and uh, I'll wish you a happy early birthday uh, for uh, your 105th on November 28th. I'm hoping to make it. It's been my my aim ever since... uh, Ever since the, the month started, or the year started, I've, uh, I hope I make it to 105. Well, I tell you, you look good, though. We're, we're going for 110, your daughter says. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jim. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you very much. That was 104-year-old veteran Jim McRae speaking to us for the weekend or as part of Remembrance Day, and we certainly hope you were able to mark that yesterday. On now to a story about dozens of Digby residents that were able to help a stranded pod of dolphins last Friday afternoon. A report came in to the Marine Animal Response Society that 16 dolphins were stuck in the mud near Joggins at low tide. Here now is Tanya Wimmer with the Marine Animal Response Society on what happened that day and steps that have been taken since. Tanya, Friday afternoon, um, there was uh, a number of dolphins uh, that were in trouble there off Digby. Can you give us kind of the full scope of of the call that you received and, and what was going on there on Friday afternoon? Yes. So late in the afternoon, probably well after two, um, we got a phone call from a person who was in Digby watching, actually watching the dolphins as they were swimming about, um, you know, probably feeding on fish as the tide came in. And then uh, she called us because the tide had turned and the animals were starting to get stuck in shallow water. At that time, she had reported that there were probably about nine or 11 animals um, and then, of course, as the tide was dropping, they were basically getting stuck in the mud. Do you know exactly where uh, this was off Digby? Oh, this was back in what they call, I think, the Joggins. It's sort of one of the little inlets at the very back of the uh, of the main part of the bay that comes in. Right, right. So this was uh, like a pod of dolphins that were that were stuck there. And so, what's the first kind of, I guess, response from from your organization on that? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, very thankfully, the, the caller knew our number, so she was immediately able to call the, our toll-free hotline to report the incident. The main problem we ran into is the timing uh, in the day, which, you know, these things tend to happen on, uh, you know, long weekends, holidays at the beginning of a weekend. Um, they, uh, so they called us, but the issue was, of course, our people are here based in Halifax, and so we weren't able to get up there before dark. Um, so that puts a little bit of a different spin on what can be done. Luckily, we have colleagues with um, Fisheries and Oceans Canada that are there in Digby. Um, we had the member of the local fire department that had reached out and everyone basically saying, what can we do? How can we help? So we were actually able to have a discussion with both the fisheries officers and with the fire department to say, look, this is essentially the key things to be able to do. The main concern with these animals, especially in things like mud, um, are that they when they're out of water, they, they don't have arms, so they sort of fall over on their side, which is bad because their nose, their blowhole, is on the top of their head. 
so it might be getting blocked. So we had a discussion about, first off, whether it was even safe for people to go out because we know that it's a muddy environment, um, and that's a huge concern. That's always number one concern. Can people even do anything safely? And then because we knew that there were people in um, positions with you know, quite extensive training in terms of human safety, also response, the decision was made to see if they would be able to go with some of the members of the public to at least get the animals upright and then assess what we could do after that. And Tanya, of course, uh, for the dolphins uh, being, you know, kind of, I guess, beached there or stuck there in the mud, um, how important was it to get them back to the water as quickly as possible? How long could they have survived there? Well, I mean, the thing with these animals are that they're mammals, so they're just like us. They breathe air. So as long as they have, you know, free passage to be able to breathe, so they're blowholes sort of to the sky, not, you know, in water and mud, they actually can be out of the water uh, and breathing fairly, you know, normally just like us. The big issue is they probably only have, you know, six or so hours, depending on their condition, depending on where they are, because they do need to be in water. Um, all of their organs are actually on their underside of their, their bodies. So when you put them upright, the way they need to be facing, the muscle on their back is slowly sort of pushing down on those organs, which that part is the main concern. So they can be out of the, the water to breathe air, but we do need them to be in the water to enable their bodies to be able to function properly. So normally that gives you a window of about, you know, four or five hours. But the other thing we were dealing with was darkness and the tide, which was already out and starting to come back in. But we knew it would be a little while. And the dolphins now, they've uh, safely gone back out to sea? Well, that's the, I mean, so the, everyone were able to, the, oh my goodness, so many people. It was incredible, actually, to see, you know, although um, for my part, having done this now for 20 years, not surprising. This is how Nova Scotians are. Um, you know, all the people that came down to help these animals was really incredible. They got the animals back into the water um, with the tide sort of coming back in. And for the most part, the animals seemed to still be milling around the area, probably because there was fish still running or food still running that they were eating. Um, and on last report, all of the animals had made it out to sea, um, or at least back in the water, and no one has saw them on the beaches. Um, unfortunately, a few days later, we did get a report of two animals, so only two out of the overall 16 that were later found that had passed. So all in all, still a very huge success um, for a situation that could have gone very badly if people weren't there. Right. And uh, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, just tons of people, uh, about mm. 40 or so from what we're, we're hearing. And I'm, we're hearing this a couple of students as well from Digby Regional High School yeah. that even helped out. So, so you, like you said, it's Nova Scotia that you're not surprised that uh, people help out in, during things like this. So, uh, you know, what does that mean to your society to see that? Well, I mean, the thing is with our organization, which is actually very small in terms of the number of people that run it, we've been around a long time and, you know, we're just mostly trying to do everything we can to help these animals. Um, but really fundamentally, it's also about making sure people stay safe. So the big thing with this incident are because there were some people there with, you know, with certain skills, with experience um, dealing with animals, it was really important that, you know, those people were on site uh, because, People really, it's the goodness of their heart to jump in and help these kinds of animals. But there are obviously safety concerns. These you know, animals can be very unpredictable, uh, especially when they're stressed. People may do things that you know, they're not even paying attention to the weather and their own health in order to do these things. But because this was a very um, controlled situation, even though it may have seemed very chaotic, um, it was deemed safe to be able to do so because there were enough sort of people of authority watching to make sure all the humans stay safe in these situations. For our organization, this is really, uh, you know, the secret of our own success is that we have people in our communities who are so passionate about helping and they care so much 
Um, that's critical for us because we take volunteers all across the maritime provinces. We work also throughout New Brunswick and PEI. And it really is about harnessing that passion so we can enable people in our communities to help us, but know what is safe and whatnot by doing some of our volunteer training programs. So this was really wonderful to, to see that kind of passion. And for us, you know, people want to sign up as volunteers. We, they're more, you know, more the merrier in that sense is, is our motto. And the Marine Animal Response Society was busy over the weekend, of course, with that. But there was another uh, incident in in Cape Breton. Yes. So at the exact same time, or just a little bit later, actually, on Friday afternoon, we were getting a report of a large whale that had come ashore uh, or was very close to shore in uh, Cape Breton, on western Cape Breton Island near Craigmore. That animal turned out to be a live sperm whale, which was an, is an animal that's probably between 40 to 50 feet long. Um, it is really unusual for that species to be in that place, to be alive. Um, it really wasn't doing very well. It's very thin. So, I mean, a really sad scenario in the sense of what was happening with that animal. It actually passed overnight, um, which with a very large animal, those are extremely hard to rescue. But especially when they're ill or they're sick, you know, we we normally don't want to do things like pulling them back into the water because obviously they're probably there for a reason. So, that situation was unfolding at the exact same time at the opposite end of the province. Um, and now with that animal having passed, we are trying to figure out how to be able to do a necropsy, which is essentially an autopsy on it, to figure out what was going on. Well, Tanya, thank you so much for your time. And uh, if somebody does see a marine animal in distress, uh, how do they get a hold of you? Yes, thank you so much for asking. The um, any animal, so if people see any large marine animal that's either they found it dead or it's alive but in trouble, they can call our toll-free hotline, which is 1-866-567-6277. That was Tanya Wimmer with the Marine Animal Response Society. The Weekender returns in a moment on Y95. Welcome back to The Weekender on Y95. I'm Kevin Northup. A major funding boost for the expansion of Yarmouth Mariner's Center was announced back on October the 21st. A joint investment of $29.9 million announced at the arena. The Fed's investing $15.9 million with Central Nova MP Sean Frazier on hand to talk about it. It's the largest investment by the federal government to the Yarmouth area. Meanwhile, the province investing $4 million and $10 million coming from the town and municipality of Yarmouth and the municipality of Argyle. I had a chance to attend that announcement and spoke with many who were on hand to celebrate. We start with MP Sean Frazier. This is an historic day. Uh, it was mentioned during uh, this that uh, this is the, one of the largest funding announcements for southwestern Nova Scotia from the federal side of things. Uh, MP Frazier, just your thoughts on today and, and being able to be here and deliver this news for Yarmouth. Uh, well, look, any day you come to announce uh, $15.9 million for a, uh, a, a town in Nova Scotia that's supporting uh, people in the area it is a good day. But when I actually look at the merits of this project and see the difference that it's going to make, it's not just about the dollars. It's about the families that are going to be able to bring their kids here to swim. It's about the uh, the fitness facilities that people are going to get to joy, but the events that people are going to get to experience that are hosted here. Uh, this facility is due for an upgrade. It's uh, about 20 years ago since the thing was put up. And to see that uh, Yarmouth in the surrounding areas uh, going to benefit from a, uh, a first-class facility is exactly kind of the kind of project that we'd love to see to go ahead. Uh, we didn't make a decision to invest in infrastructure by coincidence. Uh, we honestly believe that it's a good thing because it creates jobs in the short term but sets communities up for long-term success. Uh, huge congratulations to the municipalities. Thank you to the province for cooperating. Uh, but most of all, to members of the community who've been advocating for this. It's a great day for Yarmouth and a great day for Nova Scotia. And I know you've been in other arenas here in Nova Scotia, the Pictou County Wellness Centre, Rath, East Lincoln, 
Island Community Center. There's a lot of really high-tech arenas with pools in place, South Shore as well with uh, Bridgewater. How important is it for Yarmouth to join that rank to get that pool here and have this be a community hub? Well, you got to uh, remind yourself that there's different reasons that you uh, build facilities like this. Look, you want to be able to certainly uh, attract uh, events that have the capacity to host people. Uh, but when you actually look at the different communities in Nova Scotia, um, you really got to come to realize that people are choosing where they want to live, where they want to work, based on the amenities that a community has available. When somebody's made the decision to come to Nova Scotia and they see certain communities have facilities that are modern, that are going to provide that quality of life that they're hoping to enjoy, that's uh, one extra ticket that, that people are going to be able to mark next to Yarmouth. Uh, now what they see this new uh, uh, modern amenity coming that they're going to be able to enjoy every day, uh, it's the kind of thing that will attract people here. I'm telling you, how, coming from a community that has a facility like this, when you're talking about recruiting doctors of the area, they want to know that they have a fitness facility, that they can take their kids to swimming, that they can enjoy recreational activities. It's one more thing that's going to allow people to say Yarmouth is a great place to live, a great great place to work, and to roll out the welcome mat for people who want to call this community home. And also, of course, benefit the people who've always called this place home. All right, MP Fraser, thank you for your time and uh, welcome to Yarmouth. Uh, a pleasure. It's good to be back. Here with uh, West Nova MP uh, Chris Dontremont. And uh, wow, what a day here. Uh, a big funding announcement for a Mariner Centre expansion project. Uh, how does it feel to see this coming here today and, and to see the facility, which you know here so well? Well, I mean, ultimately, we've been around for since this was constructed uh, to see the evolution of what Mariner Centre became, um, how it is already a, a big part of the hub of, of, of Yarmouth County in the area. But to see this dream come true, I've seen lots of people work really, really hard uh, to bring it to fruition, uh, to design it, to see it, and to visualize it. And now to see the funding uh, coming up to support it from the federal government is, is phenomenal. To see the, the funding come from the province sort of validates all that hard work. So it's, it's, it's great to be here today making this announcement. And this building opened in 2001, uh, and many different governments have been in power since then. But to see it today, where it looks like all levels of government are working together, doesn't matter what party, this needs to get done. Uh, what does that mean to you to see that? Well, I mean, ultimately, this took a little bit of work. I mean, I, I, I belong to the opposition. So trying to make a deal like this one is always very difficult. But, you know, grâce à the Minister of Infrastructure, Dominic LeBlanc, comes from an area that is very similar to ours. Uh, Sean Frazier, who comes from an area that's very similar to ours, understands the peculiarities or the challenges that we have in rural Nova Scotia, in rural Canada. Uh, to be able to bring a facility like this to us, uh, you know, for the fitness, for, for, you know, attracting people to our area, those kinds of things are extremely important to us. So I, I think we had buy-in from them, and, uh, you know, I'm just really happy we're here today. And personally for you, you mentioned you're a swim dad and uh, your kids have, have grown up swimming and to have an Olympic-sized pool that's going to be here, uh, that's that's huge for, for you as well. Well, I'm too late to the swim dad because they're off in university and off working <laughs> now. But, you know, I've seen the work that is done for our community members when they were at the Y, when they were using the pool facility there. And to have a larger facility here, more appropriate to today's standards, is going to be phenomenal for, you know, taking our future Olympians and getting them into bigger pools uh, across Canada. So I think that's going to be important for, for our future generation. And of course you touched on it, the health and wellness aspect of it. Uh, more people coming to the facility, more of a community hub. I mean, Mariners on Main, they're doing their, their job, that's for sure, in the, in the meantime. But uh, for you, do you see this as a true community hub going forward for Yarmouth? I think it has become the community hub already. Whether it's for, you know, minor hockey, uh, the pickup hockey that happens here, Junior A Mariners. You know, we already have that uh, that hub that's happening let's add those other fitness components to it so that uh, you know 
when you're coming into town, it's easy access to town. You're not going all the way downtown. It's easy for Argyle. It's easy for the rest of Yarmouth County. It's easy for the town. So, you know, let's 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 amalgamate some of those things and have a facility we're going to be proud of. And I know uh, timelines aren't exactly set in stone yet, but uh, how soon do you want to see a shovel in the ground here? Well, I mean, I hope it happens quickly, but knowing where we are in construction today, you know, this is a, a three to four to five year project. So, you know, let's let's get going and we're, we're hopefully going to be seeing uh, lots of work happen sooner than later. West Nova MP Chris Dontremont, thank you. Thank you. With uh, Argyle MLA uh, Colton LeBlanc here uh, and the government announcing $4 million in contribution to this expansion project. Uh, for you, you know, being a resident of this community, to see this announcement today, especially from the federal government, that's significant fun too. What does this mean to you? I'm so happy that we're, we're a partner in, in this project, recognizing the importance of this community hub to our region. Uh, you know, there's so many people that spend so much time at the rink and, uh, you know, uh, the importance of having an aquatic center for, for our region is right up there. You know, we, we hear the, uh, the importance of having this, these types of community assets and, and looking to recruit and, and newcomers to our region as our population grows. So I'm really happy that our province and our provincial government has invested $4 million in this project. And you've been in MLA since 2019. Since then, has this project kind of been on your radar? Have you have you wanted to see things progress here? Yeah, no. This has been uh, this has been on the radar for for some time now, and uh, it's been a, a true privilege to work alongside uh, the, the steering committee and the chair uh, Nicole Albright. Uh, it was it was advocated to to both levels of government uh, for this project, and, and recognizing that uh, this economic this this hub this community hub is going to deliver so much for our community, whether it's sports and recreation, community events. Uh, and fostering a healthier and stronger community at the end of the day. Right, and uh, province coming on board with this. Uh, kind of how long has this been talked about in the, within the PC government of, of making sure this is supported? Yeah, I know uh, early days of our, of our government, uh, Nicole uh, and the steering committee and members of our, of our community have, have been uh, bringing this to my attention. And uh, I'm really proud uh, that uh, the hard work that I've done and to be able to make this announcement and be part of this, uh, this historic announcement for, for our region today. Well, uh, MLA LeBlanc, thank you so much for uh, being here and, and sharing in this day. And, uh, well, when do you want to see a shovel in the ground? I'm kind of asking everybody that. I, I know timelines are kind of iffy right now, but uh, how, how soon do you hope to see this done? Well, i got a shovel in my, in my car, so I was ready to turn solid today. But uh, as, as soon as, as we're ready to turn solid, I'm going to be here with bells on. Here with uh, Yarmouth MLA and uh, opposition leaders at Churchill for the province. Uh, today is really an historic day for Yarmouth. Uh, this is something I know that you've looked forward to maybe for a long time, being here in your uh, constituency. Tell me about what this day means to you. Listen, this is a great day for Yarmouth. People have been working on this project for years, and this has been a joint effort. We've had all the municipal units working on this, members of all political parties working on this over the years, and I'm so happy that the provincial government and the federal government and the municipal governments made this announcement today to get this project happening in Yarmouth. This is going to be a real game changer for our community. And, you know, you've been in the House since 2010. Um, going back then and, and, and seeing today what this project could mean to this community, uh, what a journey it's been. Can you reflect on that a little bit, just how, where, where from this started for you to be here now to see this happen? It's been great to see the incredible progress in this community over the last 12 years. And to have a new pool with a new wellness center that's going to service not just Yarmouth, but this whole region is so phenomenal. And it's going to have such an impact on the lives of people here, on doctor recruitment, and on our economy. 
right? And I know, uh, you know, with federal and municipal really kicking in a lot of funds in the province as well, in your role as opposition leader, uh, are you going to be on top of things to make sure that things are moving forward in a, in a, in a good direction here for the facility as they seek uh, contractors? Oh, yeah, listen, but, but, but this has been a joint effort. You know, we've had liberals and conservatives working together on this. We've had our municipal units working with everybody. This has been about putting the community first, putting Yarmouth first, and every time we do that, we get big wins like this. All right, and uh, how soon do you hope to see a shovel in the ground? As soon as possible. We <laughs> want to get this thing going. I want to get my kids in this pool, and I know everybody else is feeling the same way. With Mayor Pam Mood and uh, Mayor Mood, a significant funding announcement today. And Nicole Albright, in her statement, called it the largest funding given to southwestern Nova Scotia for this project. How significant is that to you? It, it's absolutely huge, Kevin. You know, this community comes together at, at any given point. Uh, we've come together on this, the three municipal units, the, the province, the, the federal government, uh, and the community. And it, it just shows, you know, the support when you get together. So huge. And I know we talked about this at length. You've been mayor since 2012, and this is something you've wanted to see since then. And now... The wheels may be turning a little bit with funding, but I know there's a lot of work still left to be done. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, you know, Nicole was so well-spoken. She, she shared all the main points, and the work is just about to get started. You know, we've, we've done a lot of background, but, but now comes the time, you know, for the community to step up. Uh, and, you know, the, the quicker we get through that, the quicker we get, uh, we get this built and everybody in it. So lots of work. Excited for what's ahead. Right, and uh, you're working, of course, with the municipality of Yarmouth, the municipality of Argyle, who are joint owners of, uh, of this Mariner Centre. And uh, the next step's kind of finding a contractor, getting a design ready, and maybe some community fundraising as well. Yeah, we definitely need to do the community fundraising for sure. I mean, I think we know, you know, what the numbers uh, came up as, the $30 million project. We have uh, 20, so we're going to go after that uh, that extra funding. The, the community is so supportive of things like that, and, uh, you know, we'll pull out all the stuff. And uh, today to see uh, all levels of government once again coming together for this and to see the turnout here, uh, is this a day you're going to remember for a long time? I know it's not the day where the shovel goes in the ground, but is this? do you, do you view this in the process as a significant step? It's, it's the biggest step, I, I would say. And it's funny, you know, um, been in office for 10 years. And when I ran, my son told me, Mom, fully supportive, but you know you have to be in it for 10 years to see anything come to fruition. We've been talking that long. We're here. So hopefully the second half is shorter. Mayor Mood, thanks so much, and uh, congratulations on a great day. My pleasure, and, you know, this goes out to the community. Here with uh, Nicole Albright, the uh, chair of the Mariner Centre Expansion Committee and uh, Argyle uh, Councillor. Nicole, uh, you had a great speech uh, there today uh, talking about all the things that's happened to get to this point and all the things that still need to happen. So in all of this process, how are you going to view today? Today is just... The, the culmination of the best news ever. Um, we've been working on this for a long time. Um, we continued working on this as if we were going to have the project. So although there's still a lot of work left to, to, to happen, we are in a good position to get things going as quickly as we can. But today is just icing on the cake and you won't wipe the smile off my face today. <laughs> it's, it's a day to celebrate and uh, as you mentioned in your speech, uh, the largest funding ever given to southwestern Nova Scotia here today, which
which is uh, incredible from the federal aspect of it. So $29.9 million coming towards this, and it's been viewed as a, like a $30 million project. So, so where do things stand right now in that sense as far as funding goes for this project? So the remaining $10 million will come from the three municipalities. So we had already previously agreed to each put in our share of that $10 million, and we will also be doing some fundraising as well. Right, and that fundraising aspect uh, going to start uh, as soon as possible? Yes, we've already, that ball has already been roll, uh, rolling. We have hired a consultant to help us with that, and there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that people may not know about, but that is already in the works. And as far as the, the design phase, I guess, uh, what are some of the main components that you're looking at, that we're looking at adding here at Mariner Centre? We are definitely thinking about uh, the pool. That is definitely, that was our main priority. Uh, we are also looking at some common spaces, fitness centre, and I guess wish list as well is a walking track. So now that we have our number, we can really, really focus on what it is that we're able to afford within our number. And that work uh, continues. I know the meetings happen all the time with the Mariner Center Expansion Committee. Uh, so uh, we'll look out for more updates. I've asked everybody this today that I've talked to. When would you like to see a shovel in the ground? Do you have any particular time frame for that? Oh, I would have loved to have seen one yesterday. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't see a shovel in the ground for two or three or four years. It will take some time because these things do take time. But trust me, we have a great team. We're working well together. We have um, experienced people helping us along. And I feel that this will happen as soon as it possibly can. Well, Nicole, thank you so much. And uh, congratulations on all your hard work to get to this point here today. Thank you so much. The Weekender will return in a moment. Welcome back to The Weekender on Y95. I'm Kevin Northup. It's not often you can find a children's book with a subject that's basically right in your backyard. Well, Shubanakadee Sam is uh, a groundhog that's known to many of us and beloved and celebrated uh, every Groundhog Day. But uh, leading up to Groundhog Day, you have a very unique chance to pick yourselves up a brand new children's book, Groundhog Night, Shubanakadee Sam's Shadow. Uh, this is uh, an excellent, excellent, uh, excellently illustrated, excellently written. Uh, I've got a copy of my hands right now, and uh, yeah, it's it's just a beautiful book for sure. And joining us, we are lucky enough to have the author of the book. We have uh, Doretta Grunendike with us on the line this morning. Doretta, good morning. Thank you for taking the time. Good morning. Wow, just uh, I'm looking at this book again, and it's just so, so well done. But uh, Doretta, we'll get into everything about the book and, and kind of your journey to it. Uh, first of all, give us a bit of background uh, about yourself. Uh, as uh, I see you here, you're an artist and a writer based in the Annapolis Valley. Yeah, um, I studied um, art at the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design, and I also studied art education there. Uh, traveled for a long time, and when we settled and started to raise a family in the Annapolis Valley, that's when I really started to uh, teach and and paint. And from there, uh, I did greeting cards and then paintings, and a publisher saw my work on a gallery wall and asked me if I'd like to do a book, and it just carried on from there. So that's pretty lucky. I love it. <laughs> It sounds like a real passion for you, and I'm glad you found that, and I'm glad you're sharing this, uh, you know, with Nova Scotians and and the the rest of the world too. So, uh, Groundhog Night, Shubenacadie, Sam's Shadow. Is this your first children's book or or first book? No, um, I have lots of different books behind me, um, and some of which really relate to my life here, living in the valley and with kids. 
Um, so I've been doing it for about 16 years and probably a book every year. Wow. Perfect. So, uh, you're a pro <laughs> here's what you're saying. You've had some experience, uh, with, uh, with writing books. So how did this one, um, what's that again? Sorry. No, it's a steep learning curve for me, but yeah, no, it's, it's been a great experience. Definitely. And I was just going to say, um, with this, what inspired you, uh, to write and, uh, about Shubanakadi Sam? Well, a publisher approached me and he had a deep love and affection for the park. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll think about this story. And what I did is I went to the park on my own at sunset. And immediately what I was struck by was just the beauty of the park and the calmness. And I started seeing the caretakers go one by one to each animal, feeding them, grooming them, looking after them. And it occurred to me, what would it be like for this little groundhog who knows there's a big day coming ahead, uh, to try and visit her, her neighbors around the park. And just watching how respectful the caretakers were and how interested they were in the animals and the well-being of the animals, I think that was an inspiration in itself. Um, and then putting the little groundhog in the middle of it, uh, the story just happened. I mean, there's a lot of stories in nature to begin with, but... Uh, being right there in the park at that time really holds a special moment for me. And it's so interesting to hear, you know, how that uh, inspired you. And I visited the wildlife park there too, and I've seen Shubenacadie Sam. It's a it's a great place to be. Uh, it really is a great place to take the kids uh, in the summertime, especially. But uh, Shubenacadie Sam's time to shine is certainly uh, the winter time <laughs> around Groundhog Day. Uh, and this book, uh, just the you know the illustrations. Um, your inspiration behind that, I guess, is, is being there that night. But, uh, you know, what was it like to put it together uh, like this, you know, with the illustrations and, and with the writing? Uh, what was your process like when that started? Well, it, it's interesting. I mean, the story kind of came from my experience at the park. And I, I chose the different animals that I kind of fell in love with at the time. And, and to be honest, also animals that I felt I could draw. Because I'm not just creating the story, I'm creating the images when I started illustrating the book, it was winter, and um, I'm outside every day. I'm an avid cross-country skier. I love to pond skate. And it was amazing to me every day that I skied, I would see tracks and, and little signs on the snow from the night before, knowing that as soon as I left the trails, these little animals were coming out and having this nightlife. Um, so it was just all these little still lifes around me that I wanted to include in the book. Um, it was a challenge for sure, trying to create that sense of light in a book that really takes place at nighttime. Um, but with the moon and the idea of shadows and reflection, uh, it really became sort of an enchanted process for me. Um, but there were absolutely times where I was here painting in my studio and there was a blizzard going on outside and just imagining this little creature going around. And I really wanted uh, little Sam uh, to be kind of a biologist, but also a philosopher. Lots of big questions for a little animal. So, so interesting for sure. And of course, uh, Groundhog Day, it's all about if the groundhog uh, sees uh, his or her shadow, then uh, <laughs> there you go. Six more weeks of winter, right? So uh, uh, it's something that, uh, you know, children certainly learn about, I think, in schools. But uh, how do you think this book will help them uh, in that journey to kind of learning more and maybe increasing tourism at the Shubenacadie Wildlife Park? 
Uh, listen, I think there's a lot of families already attached to the park, attached to the well-being of the animals and the landscape. Um, this book, Shubanakati Sam, I mean, even the name Shubanakati Sam, it's a bit of a tongue twister. I think what I'm hoping the book will do is just encourage kids to explore their outdoors a lot more. Um, and also to realize, I know, you know, it's a myth that Sam's shadow can actually reveal whether or not spring will come. But I love the idea that such a small creature can have such a big impact. And I think that's a, a worthwhile concept for kids. Um, it was definitely daunting trying to create art around a subject that is more biology related. Um, you know, this mixture of art and science I find really, really unique. So I was trying to stay true to, and to, to be respectful of the animals of the park. Many, most of, or actually all of them have no names. They're wild animals. It's only Shubanakati Sam that has a name and that's who carries the story. It's a beautiful story, and uh, on the back of the book, you'll find a couple of uh, uh, quotes from from folks. Uh, Sherry Fitch, a very well-known author, she says, uh, On a luminous night filled with forest magic, this charming story celebrates Nova Scotia's famous and beloved groundhog, Shubanakati Sam. Who knows, more winter or an early spring? Another gorgeous, whimsical picture book from this uh, prolific artist. So when you when you hear things like that, you know, what does that mean to you, you know, to celebrate uh, this book, but not only that, but your, your work over the last uh, number of years? I feel amazing that a local story can be celebrated. I think over the pandemic years, we started to support local and just start recognizing the stories right at our feet. And so a book like Shubanakati Sam, which celebrates um, Shubanakati Wildlife Park, and, and stories that happen right within our communities. That's the nicest thing for me. Although it has been kind of intriguing learning this much about groundhogs. It's a funny job when you're a painter and a writer and a teacher, the kinds of uh, subject matter that you get to uh, become very familiar with. So I'll never look at a groundhog the same way ever again. <laughs> really have to study your subjects, no question. So uh, Shubanakati Sam, certainly a, a great subject to, to study. And uh, another quote says uh, from Sidney Smith, the Governor General's award-winning author-illustrator, says uh, Groundhog Night's an instant classic, uh, quiet and sweet. It's a gentle nighttime journey that brings the reader closer to the natural world. Uh, Doretta's warm illustrations bring out the quiet beauty of a uh, cold winter's night. And when I first saw this book, uh, I read that it was by uh, Doretta Gronendike, and uh, I saw that, you know, uh, I, I thought maybe you had just written it, but then learning that now you're the illustrator of this as well, not everybody can can do that. Do you find that's a, a rare art to have somebody that's both uh, doing the illustrations and, and writing the book? Uh, listen, there's a lot of amazing author-illustrators out there. I do, I do feel lucky. The way my brain works is I see stories and pictures at the same time. I mean, both processes are, are, are definitely different, but um, sometimes I'll see the picture first and then I'll think of the story and it kind of goes back and forth. Definitely, I run by my ideas through my editors and different friends. I mean, it takes a community to create a book. So I'm really thankful to the park for their help and my publishers and so on. And even my designer, Matt Reed, you know, they all pull a book together. But people who know me know that I really, 
really have a good time in winter being out in the snow. And when they see this book, they'll really see me reflected in it. And uh, the publishers, uh, McIntyre Purcell Publishing in, in Lunenburg. So it's uh, another local uh, publisher there helping to, to get this book out there. So uh, you talked about the pandemic and, and supporting local. How important is that to, to keep that art alive here in our region? Oh, it's 100% important. Um, Shubenacadie is a park that locals totally love and they support. And I know myself, as I was growing up as an artist here, um, community supported me and made all the difference that year by year I could grow as a painter and as an author illustrator. And and, and just that support for our park, um, for our culture, all of those things just help them grow and become vibrant and strong. And, and, and they can all work together. So I, I think that's huge, especially for young Nova Scotians to know that you know, to feel like really this is the center of their universe. There's there's so much um, amazing things around us in the natural world and in our culture here in Nova Scotia. It's worth celebrating it and sharing it. And uh, it mentions as well that there's over 50 species of mammals at the Shubenacadie Wildlife Park uh, and Wetland Center Wildlife Station as well with interpretive displays. If you haven't been there, it's it's really a, a great place to uh, to take the kids and uh, and get them to learn uh, even more, of course. Uh, and, and you mentioned in your book that it's not just Shubenacadie Sam that's featured. There's other animals too. What are some of the other animals that, uh, that you enjoyed uh, painting and illustrating? Oh, I really remember when I went in and the moose wasn't feeling well. And I remember staring in through the shed window at the moose and the caretaker was so kind and gentle to this animal. And it had such a big presence and it would turn its head and just looked at me. And I just think that that stopped time, that quiet moment. But there was another point when I was visiting the park and we were all talking. And one of the caretakers looked at me and said, Dorita, how do you feel about snakes? And I said, not good at all. And she said, jump on the cart, which I right away, I sprung onto the cart. And she said there was a, a wild snake, not, not a captive snake or, you know, a park snake uh, at my feet. I jumped on the park, completely phobic of snakes. And I watched the snake go under the fence and the otter grab it, wrestle it, wrestle it underwater and then devour it. And it was so bizarre because the landscape was so peaceful, but then real natural things were happening within the park walls. And just watching this otter just automatically see its breakfast and and watch it all play out in front of me, it really was that circle of life. So very calm and very natural moments and also a wildness there. I really like the wildness. Those animals are wild. Where can we pick up a copy of this book? Because I'm excited to read it to my kids uh, and show them as well. Uh, where is this available and uh, how can we get our, our, our hands on a copy? Um, well, Shubenacadie Wildlife Park, of course, and their gift store has copies. All your local independent bookstores, um, go to chapters online. They should be available everywhere. And I also have a website, so you can contact me through there, and I'll get you in line with some copies and so on. Um, but it should be out everywhere. Yeah, it'll be uh, – my kids were looking at it, and they said it really reminded them of stories that we read at night together, just visiting different animals and going to sleep, wondering what will happen the next day. 
Oh, that's fantastic. And that must mean a lot to you to know that, uh, you know, your kids are supporting you there, too. And uh, I'm sure you've had a lot of uh, a, gr- a great support, great support system to uh, to get this book published, along with your, your 15 other uh, books that you've done. Oh, yeah. Community support is key for all the artists in the, in, in the province, all the artists and musicians, community support, local support. Um, it's a great thing, and it allows our culture to flourish, and it also lets our natural resources to, uh, to flourish as well. Um, big thing about the park is, you know, promoting the biodiversity and, and seeing what's around and how they're all interconnected. And that holds true for our culture and it holds true for our, our you know, nature wonders. Well, this is certainly uh, a great gift to uh, leave under the Christmas tree or the whatever you celebrate uh, this holiday season. So uh, it would be great to uh, be able to get your your hands on a copy of this again um, you can do that. Uh, artbydoretta.com is your website. Perfect. Yes. All right. Artbydoretta.com. You can visit that. And of course, uh, look out in some bookstores uh, for Groundhog Night, Shubanakity Sam's Shadow. Uh, Doretta Gronendike is the author and illustrator of this children's book. And she has been our guest this morning on The Weekender. Doretta, thanks for your time and uh, congratulations on the book and helping bring a Nova Scotia legend and I guess seeing it in a new uh, shadow, I guess we'll say. Thank you so much for the visit. And as I write in all the books that I sign, go hug a groundhog. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thanks, Doretta, and you have a great day. Same to you. Bye for now. And that's our program for today. Thanks for listening. For story suggestions or to submit feedback, email news.cjls at radioabl.ca or call our news line at 902-749-1919. To listen to archived versions of our program, visit us online at cjls.com and click on The Weekender. The Weekender is a production of the Y95 Newsroom and is brought to you by Eris Yarmouth, your one-stop healthy home center.